0: Good morning. Good to see you all. So this morning we're going to be continuing our, our Genesis story. We're going to be picking up where uh, where we left off last week. Last week we ended off in in Genesis thirty one. We're gonna be picking up in Genesis thirty two. And uh, so this I, I like to think of it as like the classic origin story. So you know those movies like the the Marvel or DC comics where you have the the superheroes and the the origin movies are the ones that you know they go and they find their powers. Like they start out as some weak nerd or whatever. <laughs> and then they something happens, some some point where they start to realize what's going on in their lives and then they have like their superpowers or or whatever. And uh so I, I like to think of this as, as one of those origin stories because, you know, Jacob, he doesn't get any superpowers, of course. But this, this has kind of been the story of Israel up to this point. And for those of us who, who look at this on the other side of Christ's sacrifice, which is all of us, we can see the, the foreshadowing, we can see the unraveling of this, this massive narrative that leads to the story of Christ. But I, I like to think of this part as the part where Spider-Man, you know, puts on his mask for the first time. Because this is the point where Jacob is, is given his new identity and his new name, the name of Israel. And so if you're reading this story, you're like, oh, what? what the, that's crazy. Like you, you see it after the fact because you can see God's prov- providence play out. You can see his, his crazy plan. And then a, a hint of his promise, of course, again, and he gives it a name. So Jacob, he's left Mesopotamia behind, and he's on his way to his, his promised land, his hometown, to take hold of this, this final promise that God had given him in his vision. And uh, so he leaves his conflict with Laban behind him that's, you know, for the most part, resolved. It was messy, but there's a clean cut that he's away from Laban. They've, they've split ways. They, they did their whole thing, and now he's home free. And so as the, as the angels of God had been present when he left in chapter 28, they again greet him as he comes into Canaan. And so that's where we, le- we pick up at uh, Genesis 32. So would you read that with me? It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the county of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants I have sent to tell my Lord in that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who are with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. So Jacob is a little more than ten miles away from the Jordan when he's met by a camp of angels. And so this, this camp of angels it, it encourages them, it refreshes them, because these are the angels of God, and he exclaims: This is God's camp. And he names the place after the second camp that was with him, the camp of angels. And this is done out of the same celebration that we'll later see in in the psalmists as they write in Psalms 34 and 91. They write, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. In Psalm 91 it says, For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands will bear you up, let you strike your foot against a stone. After 20 years, 20 years in his own form of exile, Jacob, he's returned to his homeland, or at least close to it. And the angels, they they weren't just protection. They weren't just a sign of protection, but they're a reminder of God's promise and God's providence and provision for Jacob. His his faithfulness to Jacob throughout these, these last 20 years. And this was a, a more honorable reception than any even royalty would have gotten. So as a royalty royalty came in, like a, a king or a prince would come into a town, they would get a reception by the, the king's magistrates. They would get a reception as they came into town. So this ref, reflects something like that, but it's way better than that. It's God's angels. It's a camp of God's angels. And so that's why Jacob, he's so encouraged. Because it's like this is a sign of hope. This is a sign that that I'm in the promise. Uh, that I've arrived. I made it. So God's relentless grace doesn't forget. God didn't go sleep on, go to sleep on J- Jacob. He didn't grow weary. And this this kind of reflection reception, like I like to think of it as, it's it's a, a picture of not just of Jacob's promise, but of all believers as they, as they enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. Like, this is a picture of, of what it looks like when we come into, to God's promises, when, when we're faithful and we step in and, uh, and we're a part of his kingdom. Jacob's, his descendants are going to continually question where God is from time to time, if God is there or not, but, but now in this instance, as, as, uh, It is throughout all of Israel's history, as it is throughout all of Jacob's life. God was with him. God was there. And God's grace is still at work here, because the next conflict is coming. So Jacob, he, he longs to see his father, but of course, he dreads to see his brother. He knows what he's done to his brother, and he's afraid of the next confrontation. And so what does he do? Tactfully, he sends out for Esau. And he sends out for Esau in a, in a way where he, he's sending him what Jacob's status is, what his own status is, and then requesting Esau's status in return. So this is something that, like, long-lost friends, long relatives, that they would have done in, in order to reestablish a connection and... and uh, and, and make sure that their friendship was good, you know? It's like you have a long-lost friend, like your best friend you haven't talked to a while. What do you do when you pick up the phone? You're like, hey, how you been? And then you update each other on, on your lives. Like that's, in essence, what's happening here. So Jacob, he sends out for Esau, and Esau, in return, he, he doesn't give Jacob a status of, of how, he, how he's been or anything like that. What does he say instead? Well, you know, I'm sending people to meet you. But it's going to be four hundred men. Like, oh, he's sending an army. (laughs) So Esau, he uses these. er, Yeah, Esau, uh, Jacob. He uses these. The words he uses, the Lord, and like you're you're the Lord, I'm the servant. Like that kind of thing. He's submitting to to Jacob. Ah, man, getting mixed up, brothers. You know, (laughs) Jacob is submitting to Esau. And, uh, and it's, it's like the, that passage, a, a calm word turns away wrath or in Ecclesiastes, uh, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So he gives accounts and uh, inquires of Esau, and he's, he's kind of doing two things here. One, he wants to invoke this meeting of, of friendship, of brotherliness and, and not war. And then on the other, on the other side, He's informing Esau that he's not coming back into town as like a vagrant, as a vagabond, as as someone without anything, and and this is his last hope for survival and existence. He's not the prodigal son returning, like that kind of idea. He's not going to be a burden on Esau. He's not destitute. He's actually done pretty well for himself. And so he's really trying to reestablish this connection. And so... He tries to butter up Esau, tries to get that, that favor. Hey Esau, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I have all this stuff and I hope we can be friends. Like, well, okay, that's probably not really going to work. So Esau's response back is, all right, well, I'm sending 400 men. Like, oh. So Jacob, he presses in for the greatest results, but he expects the worst. Well, he thinks, if he does attack me, then I'm going to make sure I get out with as many people as I can. So he splits his group up, and, you know, Jacob, he's probably a little stressed out. He's worrying. He doesn't really know what's going to happen. How many times have we been in this position? Not with an army coming to our doorstep, but where we're worrying about something we don't actually know what's going to happen where these possible trouble hits that we stress out, Jacob, he had an entire camp of angels. We seem to forget this. Jacob had an entire camp of angels next to him. Even if Esau was sending an army of 400 men to his door, surely he would have trusted in God's promise and been like, well, I can't defend against this army. But God, he's going to provide, God's going to fulfill his promise. And these angels next to me, they're going to cut Esau's army down at my feet. Like, shouldn't Jacob have had that trust that God was going to carry through with what he said he was going to do? And yeah, I think we do the same thing. We freak out about something that could happen, something that has potential to happen, something that really never does happen. And we call that worry. On the surfa- on the surface, Esau, he was preparing for war. That's, for all intents and purposes, that's what it looked like, which uh, maybe he was, maybe he was preparing for war. And many commentators say that he was bent on revenge. Maybe he was, but it just as easily could have been a precaution that Esau was taking against Jacob. He knows his brother, he knows what happened in the past, and it, the, this is the brother that, remember, he had taken everything. He had, he had taken everything from Esau. He had tricked him, and he ran off like a thief in the night. And for all Esau knew, Jacob was coming back to do the same thing again. And so Esau could have been like, well, forgive me, but I don't really trust that you're coming here on good, on good circumstances and that you want to restore this relationship. Esau knew what Jacob, Jacob was capable of, and it could have been just another trick. This, these friendly messages could have been just another way for, for Jacob to come in and take everything from Esau. And Jacob, he figures Esau would be angry with him, because angry people, they have the best memory. <laughs> right? Like, there's no way Esau forgot that Jacob took his birthright. Like, there's no way. And so we see the classic 911 prayer, as I like to call it. So let's read Jacob's prayer. He says, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant, for which only my staff and I, with only my staff I cross the Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good make your offspring offspring as the sands of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude so he stayed there that night and from what he had with him he took a present for his brother esau 200 female goats 20 male goats 200 ew, ewes and 20 rams 30 milking camels and their calves 40 cows and 10 bulls 20 female donkeys 10 male donkeys So this, this is the the first recorded prayer by Jacob. In this prayer, he praises God, he confesses to him, and then he calls on the promises that God himself had made to Jacob. Out of desperation, and maybe a dash of guilt, Jacob sends these 550 animals in front of him, and uh... So out of my own curiosity, I was like, what? I don't know what this means. Like, how much is this even worth? So out of my own curiosity, I, I looked it up, and uh, this is the list of the animals that he sent. And uh, like a little total, this is like current day-ish um, estimate of what it looks like. And before you say, wow, you're paying up too much for cows. Like, who's your cow guy? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That's not the point, (laughs) but I I just wanted, like, a visual representation, like, you know, 40 cows doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know, Um, and so, like, by my own estimate, this is somewhere around, like, the normal person's 17 to 35 years worth of work, so you're like, all right, well, you know, here's my house, like, take it, like, this is a gift for you, like, the point is, like, not the money, like, this is a gift clearly fit for a king. This is a massive, massive gift to him. Like It cost Jacob a lot. No matter how much he had, cost him a lot. And so he strategically spaced out each drove a- of animals apart for maximum impact. As soon as one came up, one drove came up, and he asked the servant all the questions, and the servant responds the same exact thing. He says, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They're a presence sent to, by, to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he's behind us. So they continue to say that. Uh, as soon as one of those showed up, the next one came into view, and then the next one, and the next one. Jacob's intentions were clear, and this time he was putting his money where his mouth was. This has been the, f- the first moment that we've seen that where he was actually forthright in his dealings with Esau. So after it was all done, Jacob, you know, he's, he's there by himself, and, and uh, oh, he's not yet. I didn't read that part. But after it was all done, Jacob, you know, he goes to sleep at night, you know, of course, his 10 hours of restful sleep and fluffy pillow, like his mind was at ease, Like No. Jacob, he was probably restless and tossing and turning and drumming drumming over every way that he had cheated Esau and and every possible way that uh, Esau could have attacked him and dragged him out and every worst case scenario going through his head. He's reflecting on all of the past and what the sunlight might bring the next day. So let's see what he does next. Genesis 32, verse 22. So here he is, restless, because it says the same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across a the stream and everything else that he had. So he might be thinking, well, I can't sleep, I can't deal with this, so this, is, this might be how my promise comes true. I'm going to just take all of my kids and my belongings, I'm going to put them across the river so they can't get attacked, and I'm going to be the one that dies, and they're going to carry on the name, and I'm going to become a cr- great nation through all them and all that. And Jacob, it says in, in verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone. Then it gets interesting, as if it wasn't already. <laughs> A man, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Like, I think, ugh. Four dislocated shoulders, like, I don't want to picture that. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up as he passed Penuel limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So Jacob... He's there all alone with his thoughts, you know, just dwelling on it. When all of a sudden, a hand grabs him out of nowhere. And it was a powerful hand, someone that apparently had the intent to take his life. Jacob, he couldn't get a good look. The man was silent and never declared a name. And the long night became even longer as they both grappled for life. The night drug on as the two men struggled to gain the upper hand, Sweat dripping, morning comes with no victor. They're breathing heavily as they, they grasp for position. The two, they, they endlessly wrestled. For Jacob, this is a struggle that's analogous to his life. He wrestled with his brother. He struggled with his brother and his, and his father and then his father-in-law. When would he ever get a break? Hadn't this all been enough? When was God going to step in and make things easier for him? Here, Jacob will see that God himself was wrestling with him. Yeah, not much of a break, granted. How many times have we found ourselves in this position? One struggle after the next. God, when will you give me a break? I know you, can't ju- you can just take this away, but why won't you? I just got done wrestling with my problems with my boss, and, and now problems with my spouse, my kids? When is God going to take away the struggle of my marriage? When is God going to take away the struggle of where I'm going to live or my car or my family or my finances? Whatever it is, up until this point, Jacob's post-promise life didn't look that promising. When you really get down into the nitty gritty of it all, it's it's ending with a 24-hour battle to the death. Like, that's what it looks like between this this unknown man and Esau. Like, oh, I'm just going to be a 24-hour battle, and then I'm going to die. Who was this man? It wasn't Esau. Surely he would have recognized if it was his brother. It wasn't one of Esau's men. If it was one of Esau's men, he would have had a weapon. So who was it? As day started to break, the man dislocated Jacob's hip with a touch. Just a touch. And and so at that point, surely he knew this was some man of power. With just one touch of the hand, after likely hours and hours and hours of wrestling, the man reveals his power before Jacob. Now, Jacob knows he really could be reduced to nothing by this person. And his dangling leg rendered useless, he continues to fight and grapple for position. He tries to get the upper hand, tries to hold his ground. Jacob knew, was some, knew something was up, but he hadn't yet pieced it together. As we'll figure out later, he'd been grappling with the Almighty God. God had met him and matched his strength in human form. So this is another instance of a a theophany or a a Christophany, where God himself, most would agree that this was the the pre-incarnate Christ, God himself, in human form, that he was dealing with. So the fight had continued, and the unknown assailant asked Jacob, it's daybreak, couldn't you let me go? And Jacob, pathetically clinging to the fight, says, no, I can't, I can't let you go until you bless me. Jacob, he, he knew the man's power. He knew that he had the power to just pop his leg out of socket like that. So he also knew that he probably could have just as easily ended him right there, but he didn't. Jacob, he's reduced to nothing, but yet somehow he still clings on to the hope of his promise. Hosea say, says that the next part wasn't a demand out of dominance, but it was, it was a plea as Jacob is in tears and he strove with, it says he strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. Out of desperation and and tears, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And so he asked for his name. Jacob, he says. This was more than his name. It was a disclosure of, of his identity. This was a revealing of his character, of who he was and all that he had done. He had cheated his brother twice. And he was at a place of humility now where he could see that. And it's Christ's character that in our humility and in in our desperation that he lifts us up. It's in our weakness that he he gives us his power. And God does this with Jacob. He says, your name, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. He, He lifts Jacob up. Your name is Israel. For you've contended with God. The name literally means God contends, God strives, or, or God fights. For you have striven with God and with man. Jacob, wanting his curiosity satisfied, he says, Who are you? What's your name? And in this dimly lit dawn morning, as they stand face to face, the man really just denies his request and moves on. And this whole encounter ends as mysteriously as it starts. And Jacob was left with two reminders of what happened. He's left with his new identity, his new name, and a limp. Many of us could probably describe our lives as a struggle, even spiritually even, as as a struggle, How many of us did God have to wrestle? How many of us did did God have to continually try to get a hold of our hearts? How often does he still have to do that? Like Most of us, our lives probably aren't described by the unfettered faith of Abraham or Joseph. It's probably more described like the life of Jacob where we're constantly striving and battling. God has to humble us before we, re- we relent. He has to wrestle with us and contend with us like Jacob. But God, he still renews us. His grace is unrelenting. His grace strives to get a hold of our hearts. And when it does, our lives are changed forever. Our identities are changed as we're formed into the likeness of his son, and even our walk, even our walk is different. Out of celebration, uh, out of celebration, this new identity, Jacob, he's left on his own. And he goes to meet Esau. So, it comes to us then. How then should we live? As we live, we should realize that God's angels are all around us. God is always with us. God's there. He's going to lift us up. He's going to strengthen us. He's protecting us. He's going to provide for us. Our lives are the two camps. And let's meet with God. Let's pray with him. Let's continually pray with him. Not just in crisis. Not just the 911 prayers. And lastly, let's relent to God's plan. And put our lives in in his hands and humbly accept what he has for us as we approach him in his grace, his, his unrelenting grace. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the story of, of Jacob, and as you call him, as you uh, challenge him, and and as you show him how you will be there with him through the even harshest of days. I I pray that w- that reality would settle in in our home, our own hearts, as we extend that that same grace and, and forgiveness to other people. God, I pray that, um, that we would continue to see your presence in our lives. That we would pray and pray and pray and, and, and expect you to move. And God, I, I, um, I pray that uh, our identities our likeness would be evident because of your impact on us. God, I thank you for uh, your grace and forgiveness. I thank you for our mothers as uh, they've been models of your grace and forgiveness in our own lives.